are starting a brand new series this week. And to get us going, let me ask you a question. Have you ever asked a question, like a really good question, and got a lame or poor answer to it? Like you call up Costco or you call up Amazon and you got a question about a return or something you're trying to figure out. Maybe it's plane tickets you're trying to get across the country to see your grown kids and you get a terrible automated voice come on that says, I understand your sentences and then you try and speak to the automated voice and it doesn't work at all and you don't get good answers to your good questions. You ever had that experience? Or you go through a really trying time in life and you sit down with a trusted friend and you're like, this is the person I can ask this question to. And you ask it and he or she just gives you like a pat answer or a cheap answer or just, hey, keep trying, it'll be all right. And you just feel like that was unsatisfying. Have you ever been to church and had big questions about God and you asked them and someone like me just said, just believe just hold on, just hope, but it didn't really satisfy the questions that you have. This is what we know when it comes to our faith and almost any other part of our life when it comes to answers, that lame answers lead to lame faith. It's true, isn't it? Lame answers lead to a lame faith, and some of you are here that are not sure you believe in what we believe. You're not sure you believe in God or Jesus or don't know by you know, the church exists, but you showed up because you have questions, but you're smart. And you know that if you get lame answers, you're going to go, listen, that's not enough. I'm moving on. Because you really want to know what are the answers to some of the things in your life. And, and some of you would say this, wrong answers. Next slide. Are we stuck? Wrong answers lead to a weak faith. And have you noticed, and maybe in your life, and I've noticed this a little bit in my life as we've gone through all the craziness of pandemics and culture being upside down and all the strife in our world, it feels like our faith isn't so resilient. You may feel that right now, or you look across and you see Christians that we're supposed to live as if God is in control of everything, or we can trust him with our world. We're like freaking out as Christians. Anybody feeling that right now? And I wonder, where's my resiliency in my faith? And maybe it's because I didn't get good answers to my good questions along the way. And here's the other thing we know, that incorrect answers lead to an uninspiring faith. Like you've seen people that when their faith is displayed, it feels like they have a fourth gear and a fifth gear and an overdrive. And you just can't quite get your faith out of first gear. And you're like, how come I don't have that kind of faith that they have, that inspiring, passionate... um, I'm going to trust God with everything kind of faith. How come I don't have that? Well, I might suggest to you that along the way, maybe you've not been given great answers to your really good questions. And in this series that we're in over the next three weeks, we're going to ask three specific questions that if you're new to faith or exploring faith, that will help you maybe take a step into faith or become a follower of Jesus. I think it's going to be great for you to walk through this with us. But if you're a follower of Jesus already, And like you've been coming to church for a long time, don't check out on us because what I think for those of us that have been doing this for a while, we sometimes need to return to the core answers of why we believed in the first place and what we can hang on to with all of our hearts. And I hope maybe for you, as we go through the series, your faith is re-energized and there's a little bit of fuel for the fire and you find that fifth gear because this is kind of for everybody, whether you don't believe at all or you've been believing for a long time, there is answers to our questions that we can hold on to. Now, here's what you know and here's what I know, that how we see things, how we perceive things that we um, are a part of, how we perceive people affects how we feel about them. 
in every area of life. Like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, my um, college-age daughter, Megan, who's in the room right now, came home, and her one request is, Dad, I want us to have a fire, and I want us to carve pumpkins. I think she was, like, channeling her eight-year-old self. I want to carve pumpkins. And so Tina, my wife, and Megan and I, we got on the back deck, and we start carving these pumpkins. We got music playing, playing a little pink, because that's our favorite pumpkin carving music. I don't know why it's pink, but I like pink. Anyway, so we carved these pumpkins, and it was so interesting how each of us interpreted what a pumpkin should look like. Here's a picture. Um, This is Megan. This is her pumpkin. It's a college-age pumpkin. It looks like it's been drinking a little too much. I'm not sure what that's all about. Um, But somehow she has Christmas trees for eyes in her pumpkins. That's her interpretation of what a pumpkin should be. Now, my wife, who's always very, very nice, she has the happiest, smiley pumpkin in the whole world. Her pumpkin doesn't even have any teeth, so it cannot bite your face off in the middle of a horror movie. That's how my wife sees pumpkin carving. And then there's me with the greatest pumpkin of all time, I would just have you know, which looks a little terrifying and a little like I did not know what I was doing, but I wanted my pumpkin to be scary. But this was not scary enough in our pumpkin carving contest, so I crammed a bunch of twigs down in the pumpkin's head, I lit it on fire, and I came up with this. Is that not the most awesome thing in the world? It's a terrifying pumpkin, because that's how I perceive pumpkins and Halloween, right? How you perceive how you see something totally affects on how you feel about it, what you believe about it along the way. For instance, maybe you've been to a restaurant where you sat down to dinner, ate dinner, and then got violently ill afterwards. And you decided from that point on, you will never, ever go back to that restaurant. And you have a friend that loves that same restaurant. And he or she, they would go every night if they could. But you will not go because you had a bad experience. To our point, how we perceive, how we see something affects how we feel about it. We'd say it this way. What you think about, what, what you think about when you think about something determines how you feel about it. Let me read that again. What you think about when you think about something, whatever it is, determines how you feel about it. Whether it's something that you feel like is dangerous or it's insignificant, whether it's lame or risky, whatever it is, it's how you feel about it. It's how you think about it. And the question for the series is this. What do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? I mean, you showed up here today for whatever reason. It's your hundredth time. It's your first time if you got invited for the first time and you walked in. And here's all these people singing about God. and He's better than anything else. You're hearing me talk. And maybe you're like looking around going, hey, I don't feel the way they all feel about God, which is totally fine. But what do you think about when you think about God? For some of you, you may think this about God. He's like a referee. God's just like a referee, and he's always got the yellow flag in his hand, and he has a long list of rules and rule books, and he's just reading off things that when I do it wrong, he's throwing the flag. I mean, there's a flag because you weren't nice enough to your husband. There's a flag because you only showed up to church two times last month. There's a flag because last night you drank a little bit too much. There's a flag, there's a flag, and God's just waiting to flag you on every level. And you're just waiting to be penalized for the next thing you do, and that's how you see God. And maybe you were taught that, maybe you experienced that, but you can't get this out of your mind. And you may not even say it out loud, but this is kind of how you feel about God in the inside, I mean, like, remember when we were kids, maybe someone taught you that God just thunderbolts and lightnings, thunderbolts and lightnings. And as an adult, it's just changed a little bit. Now he's just taxes and masks you got to wear. Taxes and masks. That's the new punishment from God. Is that a great view of God? That's the question. Maybe for you, the way you see God is kind of like Alexa. 
And your relationship with God is to come to him, and this is okay, and say, God, do for me and give me and do for me and give me. And when you really need something from God, you show up to church, and you hope God's paying attention. Like, God, you see me, I'm in the sixth row, three seats over, do you see me, I'm here. Now, God, do you see I'm here? Now, I need to ask you for something. And it becomes like a bargaining chip with God, our actions, our behaviors. If I do this, God, will you do that? Now, you view God, and I view God sometimes like, yeah, request granted, request granted, denied, 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 request granted, oh, not you, oh, my goodness. You sit in the back of the room. You don't even get to, you know, ask for anything. That's how we view God sometimes. Maybe for you, you view God like an old man, which is okay because we love old man, and I'm heading towards being one, but like a distant old man that's off on a cloud a billion miles away, and he doesn't really care about what's going on, He's disconnected. He's not paying attention. Maybe in the end it'll all work out, but he doesn't really care about your day-to-day life. And hey, maybe pastors like Matt or my priest or somebody really spiritual gets to talk to this kind of God, but no one else. Is that your view of God? Maybe if you grew up in the church I grew up in in my middle school, high school years, you know, you kind of view God like the guy that takes care of Hogwarts, right? It's like a Harry Potter world, and it's all super mystical. It's all a little magical. And there's a supernatural conjuring up you have to do whenever you want to connect with God. And you go through these steps, but you're not even sure what the steps are to get to God. For instance, have you ever been around someone that just is a normal dude, or dudette, if that's such a word, and then they get in a religious situation, or they're asked to pray, and they're normal, and then all of a sudden their voice drops like five octaves low, right? And they begin to pray like, Lord God Almighty. And it's like, what happened to you? And is this like the spiritual gear we shift in when we talk to God? But I don't understand it. What do you do with it? The question is, what do you think about when you think about God? Maybe it's one of those images, maybe it's a combination, maybe it's a whole other thing, but you might have the wrong answers to a really important question because if this whole thing is about a relationship, and guys, if we learn anything from Jesus, it's about this whole thing is about a relationship with God. You cannot have a great relationship with a referee. If you're a referee in the room, man, thank you for what you do, but not very many people come to you after the basketball game and go, hey, let's get a burger and a beer and talk about the game. That's not what happens with referees. You don't have a very good relationship with Alexa if all you do is you just ask and ask and ask or an old man that's disconnected or a God that you have to conjure some supernatural thing up every time you talk to him. That's not a relationship. And again, though, you came here today and maybe this is your first time. Maybe this is your hundredth time and you're looking around going, what? why are they so interested in God? Why are they lit up? Why do they love each other? Because my answers to God have not satisfied, and I don't feel what everybody else is thinking. Can I just make a suggestion? And it's probably not your fault that maybe the way you think about God is wrong. Maybe there's a better way to think about God. And we're going to ask the question today that takes us there, and the question is, who is he? Who is God? It's a common question, but it might be the most important question that we can ask And I don't want you to walk away today with lame answers. I I heard this quote just this last couple weeks, and I think it's one of my new favorite quote I've heard recently. It's this. If who you think God is is less than who you hoped he would be, you probably have a bad answer about him. Isn't that great? 
Like, if you think of God as he doesn't really want to be around me, he doesn't really want to be connected to me, he's not really interested in my own personal world, I do not think you have the right answer to the right kind of God that really exists in our world. That's a bad answer. Because the God that loves you not only loves you, he cares about you. Here's new news for you. The God that loves you doesn't just love you, he likes you. He came to this planet for you. Now, the reason that I believe this so passionately is all throughout history, God has been showing up in the middle of our world to communicate this to us. Like when, you know, time began, when the world was created, he showed up in the middle of the relationship between the first man and the first woman. We're told that God spent time with them in the cool of the day, just being with them, communicating with them, spending time. We see God appear years later to Abraham to say, Abraham, I want to do something amazing in this world with you and your people and the rest of the world. God would show up in temples built by men because he was trying to help us understand that he wanted to be close to us. But the most amazing part of this is when the world was absolutely foggy on who God was. They were not clear. They didn't understand who God was. They felt as far away from him as they possibly could. A baby was born in Bethlehem. And God plopped himself right down, not in the middle of a throne room, but in the middle of a manger scene. And he became a human like us, so we would be able to know who God was like. And when Jesus showed up, he would say these crazy, audacious things. Like, hey, if you've seen me, you have seen the full embodiment of God. If you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at me. Well, he had these followers. and In fact, he had 12 very close followers, and they paid attention to Jesus. And what they noticed is Jesus could connect to God in a way they did not get or understand. And so one day they're like, hey, Jesus, you got to teach us how to pray and talk to God and approach God. Because whatever you got, we want it too. And Jesus smiled and he's like, sure, I'll be glad. I'll be glad to tell you how to approach God. It's not as hard as you think. Matthew, Jesus' closest, closest followers, said this. Then Jesus said, this is how You should pray. Guys, here's how you approach God. Here's how you talk to God. Maybe more importantly, here's how you see God. And some of you know what the next thing he says is, but some of you maybe never heard this. So when you start praying, you start talking to God, here's how you open up. He said, open up with our Father. What? Yeah. Here's what I want you to open with, our Father. And I don't know if we appreciate this 2,000 years later. This is like the most revolutionary thing maybe that was ever said. And you got to understand, Jesus could have picked any language from thousands of years of languages, any dialect, any illustration, any term, any metaphor he could. And he decided after maybe a little bit of thinking, probably not very long, he went, oh, you know what? You should go with our Father when you approach your heavenly Father. Well, what, well Jesus, shouldn't we go with holiness or King of kings and Lord of lords? And Jesus would certainly say, those are all true. Those are all good phrases, but now here's what I want you to think about when you think about God. I want you to think about a father. Now, this isn't because, hey, he just was pointing to men, men, men. I mean, I think, you know, men and women are embodied in the creator because we were all created in his image. I think what Jesus was pointing to was the most powerful relationship the world has ever seen, and that's a relationship between a parent and a child. Yeah, so when you talk to God, approach him, see him as a father. And then the apostle Paul comes along years later, and he double downs on this when he writes, because you are his sons and daughters, 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, and there it is again, Father. It's so interesting. When the world was so confused of who God was, the apostle Paul writes, yeah, he's your father, but he's not just your father, and he brings this word into it. And we do not get this word in our modern-day language. What translates this word when Paul wrote it was simply this. Here's what I want you to call God, your father, but I also want you to call him your daddy. Because, you know, when you walk in a room and you're like, father, feels pretty formal. Most of you won't get this reference, but, you know, beaver cleaver and word cleaver, that was a father. Father, how are you doing? Nah, Jesus is like, no, let's go with dad. Like you plop down, hey, dad, how, how you doing? Dad, I'm having a hard day. Hey, dad, I need to know that you're close. You've ever said that to someone? I'm telling you, for some of us, if we would get this into our hearts and it would go from our brain to our hearts, it would change how we see God. Like literally, you'd sit down and you'd go, Daddy, I, I just need to talk to you. Change everything. For some of you, you know, you read this, you go, yeah, 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 I've seen that before. Yeah, 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 I know it's Father. I know it's Dad. I know I've, I've heard that. I'm telling you, maybe you've lost touch with what it means for you, that your heavenly Father's like, come on, come as a child to me, and I'll look over you, and I'll watch over you, and I'll love you like a father and mother loves his or her child. For some of you, it just breaks my heart because you would go, this is, Matt, this is, this is hard because my dad left or my dad wasn't there or my dad never told me he loved me. And I, I don't understand that because that was not the case with my father, but my heart breaks for that. And so when Jesus says, call your heavenly father, dad, for you, that's super hard. I would just say this to you. This is the father you always wanted. This is the father you always dreamt about. This is the father you wish you had. This is the father that was a father of your friend that would seem like a perfect father, but this father makes that father look like he's just a sideshow compared to this father. This is a perfect heavenly father. And if this would go from our brains into our heads, I'm telling you, our faith would be different. It would light up. It would be grounded. It would be resilient. It would be something that could stand the test of time. And the reason it could, when you really hold on to the fact that God is our Father, what it conveys is that, hey, he really loves you. And that's just not a cheap, flippant thing, like, oh, it's just God's love. You're just talking about God's love. No, he loves you. And his love for you cost him absolutely everything. But he loves you so much that when you walk into the room, your heavenly father goes, that is my kid. That is my child. They make, he makes me, she makes me smile from ear to ear because she or he is mine. I mean, I'm at a stage of life where my kids are grown. But I so get excited about the moments they come back. They come back for a weekend, and we jump in a car and drive down to Atlanta and see my son or my son in Phoenix. We're going to go see in a couple weeks. Megan calls, Dad, I'm coming home this weekend. I'm like, yes, yes, I can't wait to see him. I'm so excited. Now, it's always nice when they leave too, right, parents? I'm just saying for us because they eat a lot and they're messy, so that's nice. But I get so excited, and I would just suggest to you, that's how your Heavenly Father feels about you. He loves to see you come in the room because he loves you. L look what we're told by John, one of Jesus' closest friends. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished? Hey, John, what's a good word for how much God loves us? Let me go with lavished. That's how much love he has for us, on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And I know for some of you, 
you read that and you go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, but, Matt, you don't know that I'm not very committed as a Christian. You don't know my past track record. You don't know my first failed marriage. You don't know the way I failed in other parts of my life. And so I believe that God feels this way about some people, but I'm not sure he feels this way about me. Do you know that the Apostle Paul actually wrote about the things that people could charge him with or bring arguments against him with as a follower of Jesus? And this is what he said. Yeah, you bring your, you bring your stuff. You, you bring your Convictions. You tell me all the things that I've done wrong. And when you tell me I'm not a good enough Christian, Jesus just takes that and he nails it to the cross. Bam, there's what that goes. Hey, Paul, what about those things, times when you were hunting down Christians trying to kill people that love Jesus? Yeah, but I'm forgiven now. And so Jesus just takes that and he just nails it to the cross. Bam, it's taken care of. Well, what about all of the failed stuff in my life and all the sin? and all? Yeah, when you follow Jesus, he just takes it and he just nails it to the cross and goes, yeah, watch what I can do with this. It's up here. And if you want to mess with that, you got to mess with me because I'm Jesus and I am his or I am her savior. You see, you cannot have that kind of relationship with a referee God. And you cannot have that kind of relationship with an Alexa God or an old man God. Or the Hogwarts God. That is only the kind of relationship you can have with your heavenly Father. That he nails your past transgressions and sins to the cross. The other thing that communicates to us that God is our Father is that he's with you. And this is tough for some of us because we've had people leave. Some people left intentionally. Some people left because they died way too young. But God would say, I'm with you. Look what we're told in the ancient Hebrew scriptures. Be strong and be courageous and do not be afraid. And my friends, we are living in a world right now where everybody is afraid. Even followers of Jesus, it's it's like we're living as if God is not in control. We can do better because of this promise. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. And there's some thems in our world. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. This is written by people that saw some of the toughest things in the world. King David comes along, David and Goliath, and he would say things like, yeah, on the highest mountains God was with me, but also in the lowest valleys God was with me. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and God never left. Hey, David, I got a question for you. Did it always feel like God was with you? No, nope, didn't feel like it all the time, but I knew he was because he was faithful. See, this is what I would say to you. God came for you in the person of Jesus. Huh. And he's coming back for you through the person of Jesus. Year, years ago when I was a young pastor, um, I had to stand up in front of our congregation and talk about something very, very difficult in my own personal life. It's a story I intend to tell you all in the next couple months if I can figure out when and how to do it. Anyway, I had to stand up in front of this congregation and talk about a really difficult thing. And I remember calling my dad and telling him what I had to talk about. My dad found out and he was in Florida because my sister was having her twin babies. And my dad jumps on a plane and flies overnight on a red-eye flight, shows up on Saturday night late, and he walks to the door of our house. And I was a broken-hearted, heavy-laden person. And he sits down for dinner. And my dad sat, sits down at the dinner table, and tears just begin to run out of my face, out of my eyes. Now, I'm emotional, and I, don't, I cry more than I should, I'll just be honest with you. But there was something about him sitting down that just made me feel, I'm safe. I mean, I'm a grown man. I'm almost 30 years old, but he was there, and I'm safe. And the next morning, he was sat on the front row of the church as I shared and talked about some very difficult things. And I just remember thinking... He's here. 
And I wonder if someone wanted to do something against me right now, if he wouldn't just stand up and throw him through the wall. And that just kind of made me feel really good. And my friends, when I hear that God is my father, I think, yeah, that's what my heavenly father would do. But even better than my earthly father, that he would be with me no matter what. Last thing that's important to me, hopefully it is to you, we think about God as our father, that he's for you. And again, it breaks my heart when people don't think God's for you. And I understand why that makes sense to you because there are some things that have happened, there's some things that you've done, been done to you. There's been times you felt really alone, even spiritually, that you would say, I'm not sure God can be for you. But listen to what Paul tells us again, the powerful idea. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Just pause, and we're about out of time, but I have to say this. Do you view yourself as God's masterpiece? Even broken and sinful as we all are, do you view God, yourself as God's masterpiece? Like when God created you, he put thought and time and he created something beautiful and when he was done, he went, that's my masterpiece. It's powerful, isn't it? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. That when God created you and he redeemed you and gave you life, he has a plan for your life, a purpose to do something bigger than just exist and hope we make it through. I'm convinced that if we could see ourselves like God sees us, the game would be different. And for those of you that are followers of Jesus, have you ever thought about this? If you're a follower of Jesus, he literally called you to be a follower of him. You did not stumble upon him. He called you and you responded, which means he wanted you to be part of his kingdom. He wanted you to be part of what he was doing in this plan of this world. It also means if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you can feel God call your heart just a little bit, even right now. Like, come on, kid, come on. Do you have any idea how much I love you And I want you to have a legacy. I want you to pass on something beautiful and good along the way. I wanted you to have a heritage and a blessing. Have you thought about that? One of my favorite stories in the scriptures is Jesus is kind of moving along in a normal day's business, and they run into a funeral. And the funeral is of a young man who was his only mother's son. Yeah, his son, mom's only son. Let me make sure I say that right. She was a widow. Now, of course, everybody's brokenhearted. Everybody's in pain. Everybody's sad. It feels like God hasn't shown up. And Jesus goes right in the middle of this funeral, and he interrupts it. And his followers had to be like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? It's not appropriate to interrupt a funeral. And Jesus is like, you know, get away from me. I got business here. And he walks up to this young man, and he speaks over him. And the young man who was dead comes back to life, which I know is a crazy story for some of you to hear. But I just want you to hear this people saw it, recorded it, wrote it down. This young man stands up and he breathes life into what is dead. And I want you to consider this possibility. If God loves you, if he's with you, and he, if he is for you, it also means he can breathe life back into you. He can breathe life back into your marriage. He can breathe life back into your soul. He can breathe life back into having value in your own life because of who He can give you life in any area that you would invite him into in his time and in his path. And that's a powerful thing because he loves you. He's with you. And he's for you. In just a second, we are going to sing one of my all-time favorite personal songs. I ask that we sing it this morning. 
It's about God's deep love. And what I hope is as we sing it together, whether you're at home or online, wherever you are, you're in the room, you could say it as a declaration of what you and how you feel about God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I would hope you could lean into this. Listen, and if you're not, I'm going to still invite you to sing. Just accept the fact that God really loves you right where you are today and wants to do something with your life. This is going to be a really precious, important moment. For some of us that may not feel this, we would declare God's love over us. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing, and hopefully with all that we have. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for the things that the Apostle Paul told us, and John and Matthew, that all knew Jesus, saw him, wrote about him. But what I'm most thankful for is what Jesus said about our Heavenly Father, that he's our Father, he's our Daddy. And I pray in these next few moments as we sing, we lean in. For some of us, we'll be worshiping you, Lord, that this would go from our heads to our hearts. And it would change how we see you, how we believe in you, and how we're loved by you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.